Sadly, the church often looks like the world when it comes to the things we divide over. Topics like race and politics tend to define us rather than the gospel. Many Christians in our culture rarely serve alongside those who look different than us and who have different political opinions. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, mission-minded resources at Radical.net. In today's message from Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, David Platt highlights the kind of unity that ought to mark followers of Christ. This unity is based on the gospel, and it should transcend the various divisions that Satan uses to disrupt the church's fellowship and harm the church's witness. So here's David with a sermon titled, The Church, A Community of Otherworldly Unity, from Philippians chapter 4. Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with, you can pull up. Let me invite you to open with me to Philippians chapter 4. You have to bear with me a bit today. My voice is struggling a little. Uh, we had three drive-in worship and prayer gatherings this weekend, and they were awesome and unhelpful for my voice. So I'll mention more about those uh, and the whole picture of regathering together in different ways more at the end. But I want to start today by sharing a story of good news with you. So let me remind you to submit these stories at mclanebible.org slash goodnews as we're highlighting one of these each week. And today I want to tell you a story about Nikos. So Nikos is 43 years old, grew up here in Springfield, uh, graduated from high school there and went into the Marines. In his own words, Nico says, he's a pretty rough dude, said he was angry, anxious, doing a lot of things in the world, cursing with every other word out of his mouth. So fast forward to January of this last year, so just a few months ago, when a childhood friend of Nico's was doing a tattoo convention here in D.C., this friend had been talking to him about Jesus and a group of them who were attending the tattoo convention that weekend came here on Sunday. I remember talking with them in the lobby right out there that day. The sermon that day was on Psalm 8. And Nico said he was overwhelmed by how the God who knows the stars by name has made him in his image and loved him enough to die on a cross for his sin. So Nikos told me, it was like I was speaking directly to him. He said he cried the whole sermon. A couple of weeks later, he was back. This time we were walking through Psalm 23 and Nikos decided this was the day. He put his faith in Jesus as his savior, the shepherd of his life that day, and he was baptized. Let me show you that video. My name is Nikos. I was lost in my ways and rebellious. I said my salvation prayer to wash my sins away. I asked for our Lord's mercy and grace to reveal to me my calling and to do thy will on earth as it is in heaven, to make me a fisher of men. After having revelations, I asked our Lord to speak through me and make me a good, and to make me stand still when need be and to use my tongue to speak through me when needed. I have given my complete faith into our Father and accepted him 
and accepted he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins so we can be saved through Christ Jesus and to make me a good steward. And today I confess in the church and all the world that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. <laughs> all right, so Nikos, uh, based on your profession of faith in Jesus, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. Congratulations, brother. Uh, don't you miss when we could do that? So, uh, Nico said his life did a 180, and within a couple of months, obviously we know COVID hit. So, I don't know if you remember that first Sunday, we encouraged people to print out flyers and pass them out to neighbors right around you that you can reach out to and help care for. Well, Nico said he didn't realize they were only supposed to be for people you knew. So he printed out 400 flyers and started passing them out everywhere, Walmart, all kinds of public places, and all kinds of people. He had put his phone number on there. All kinds of people started calling him for help. So he got in contact with Lauren up here and the care team. She asked him if he could help specifically. At that point, we were looking for people who could drive big trucks, and he told her that he'd learned to drive a variety of things in the Marines. So he signed up and immediately, so basically since the start of COVID, this brother started coming up here to this building every single day of the week, except for Sunday, Starting out from nine to five, now he gets here around six or seven in the morning and works until about seven at night. Nico's work situation gives him flexibility. He told me he just wants to make the most of this time. And Nico's is a big part of why when this whole thing started, we were giving away 600 boxes a week. Now we're giving away 10,000 boxes a week. And he's not just packing in the building, he's out on the streets as we've gone to a couple of sites a week to a couple of sites a day and seven or eight sites on Fridays and Saturdays. So I'll let him share with you what that's been like. Listen to him. No, I mean, I started here when we started, we were at 600 boxes a month. Now we're at 10,000, or not a month, I'm sorry, a week. And now we're at 10,000 a week. Yeah, so. It's just the need to be out distributing food to people and seeing the need and the Lord's work and everything. It's awesome. I mean, just working with all the people and being with the volunteers, getting to know people, getting to see the need that's in different communities. Um, obviously with COVID, it's, I guess, the outreach and the need is pretty tremendous. We just came from DC. We give out tents to people and homeless bags, or bags to the homeless and then, um, it's cool to see God's hand work in, in all of this, the way it started out small and just started out, you know, a few hundred boxes a week to 10,000 boxes a week. And now you just kind of see, you know, the Lord's hand and people coming to Christ, um, being able to give people the Bible and allowing them to understand. Because people thank us all the time. I always tell them, it's not for me. Thank the Lord. You know, it's got nothing to do with me. We're just here serving Him. So it's... Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to see, not the need, but the need is there so that we're able to provide and God willing, he expands it for us and allows us to keep building this and, you know, giving people food in the name of God. And 
allowing people to have opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel and just to seek the Lord, and it's pretty amazing. So I want to give you an opportunity to meet Nico, so I'm going to call him up on the phone and hope that he answers. What's up, Nikos? Are you uh, are you watching this online right now? Yes, sir. Is it kind of is it kind of weird? Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> well, bro, I uh, I just want you to know, on behalf of our entire church family, how grateful we are for God's grace in your life and through your life. And uh, I, I would just ask you, like, if you were to sum up the last, you know, six or so months, like, what is driving you to be up here all day long? Sorry, I kind of broke up. Say that again. Oh, well, I said, sorry, <laughs> I probably should do it this way. <laughs> what's, what's over the last six months, if you think about your life and what's driving you to serve in all these ways, how would, how would you describe that? Just uh, a radical transformation that the Lord's made in me and changed in my life. And, of course, everything is through him and all glory is to him to just allow me to be a better person and to serve him and to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Just to, you know, do whatever I can just to better myself and give all the glory to the Lord. Bro, I want to say on behalf of... uh, a lot of people who are listening, watching, that uh, we praise God for your example to us. And I wanna lead us to pray specifically for you uh, right now. So God, I just, we praise you for saving Nikos. We praise you for your grace in his life through your word and for his testimony to that, for transformation from that, and for your work, just as he said in different ways and videos we just watched, and then right now, to your glory, Lord, we praise you. We praise you. Think Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before men. People may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We see your grace in Nikos' life, and we give glory to you. And we pray for more grace, for more strength, for him, for all who are serving in so many different ways during these days that this city might see good deeds and glorify you in heaven, all as we share the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor. Nikos, it's good to talk to you, man. Same here, sir. All right, see you, bro. Thank you, have a good morning. God bless you. Good news, good news. So if, if you have a good news story that you want to share, mclanebible.org slash good news. And I'll be clear, like, Nikos didn't submit that story. Others submitted that story on behalf of Nikos. So, all right, all this leads... Oh, even when I think about Psalm 8, like the power of God's word. So let's, let's dive in. Philippians chapter 4, we're walking through this chapter over the course of the summer slowly, like verse by verse. We're working to memorize it, trying to hide it in our hearts, and 
we're still at the start, so it's not too late to join in. Uh, we walked through verse one a couple weeks ago. We're gonna walk through verses two and three today. So download that Bible reading plan from online and let's read through the gospels during the summer and memorize Philippians chapter four. So let's say it out loud together. I'm gonna put it up here on the screen. If you have it memorized, then you won't need to look at it. You can close your eyes. If you don't have it memorized, then just read it out loud. So let's, wherever you are, in your home, wherever you might find yourself, let's just say this out loud together. Philippians chapter four, verses one through three. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I am convinced those last two verses, verses are exactly what God is saying to us as his church today. And not just his church, NBC. I know that many people from beyond NBC, other churches still joining with us during these days. And what we're about to dive into is not unique to NBC. It's the across the church, especially in our country right now. So I read an article online recently, one of the most viewed articles on the Gospel Coalition website. And the title was Church don't let coronavirus divide you. And it was accompanied by this picture. And it talked about the polarization of positions on things like masks and social distancing and resuming large gatherings. Much of it just the overflow of angst from being separated for so long in ways that are leading to division even in the church. And this article was written even before our country erupted into protests and riots, which have led to all sorts of other divisions in the church. Christians going back and forth across social media and other channels, using every possible medium except the one that's most important, face-to-face -face communication, which we're limited in our ability to do right now. And I can just imagine Paul on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook writing, I entreat you, agree in the Lord. Like, don't forget, your names are in the book of life. So I just wanna go, kinda get out of the way and let God speak this word directly to us as his church. Which we saw last week, verse one, is a family of brothers and sisters marked by love and longing and living for each other as joy and crown, living to help each other stand firm. Remember that? We, we camped out on that, how there are spiritual forces of evil in the world right now who want to destroy your life, who want to destroy this church and any church, spiritual forces of evil in the world who want to destroy relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ. I would just bring this down even to wherever you are right now. There are spiritual forces of evil in the world who want to destroy your home. 
want to destroy your marriage, your relationships with children, your relationships with parents. So our resident Navy SEAL, Pastor Todd, talked about this last week on Father's Day. We are in a spiritual battle. Everything going on around us is a spiritual battle led by an adversary who wants to destroy. So let me, let me show you a video that someone showed me recently. It's two, I think they're antelope, who are tied up with each other from going at each other, and they have no idea who's coming after them. So I'll just give you a warning to any children or any adults who would be traumatized by seeing one animal overtake another animal. Just close your eyes for the next 30 seconds. So otherwise, watch this with me. There's the two animals just going at each other, tied up with each other. And if you will see in the background what the friends saw in the background. As another animal approaches. Again, this is where you might want to close your eyes if you're not comfortable. So if I could just quote straight from scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Same language from Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Stand firm thus in the Lord. And specifically in verse 2, I entreat Yodi and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Like your brother or your sister in Christ is not the enemy, your spouse is not the enemy. Don't be fooled. Other people are not the enemy. But let's be clear, there is an enemy. And he is real. And he is working in all kinds of ways amidst a global pandemic, amidst racial tension. He's working all kinds of ways and he has one aim, devour. That's his aim. He's seeking to devour you right where you're sitting right now seeking to devour the church, NBC, or whatever church you're a part of. So how do we stand firm in the Lord? And specifically today, how do we agree in the Lord when we disagree on so many things? So God, help us. Like in the next few minutes, help us to stand firm in you and help us to agree in you In a world where we disagree on a variety of things, teach us what it means to agree in the Lord as brothers and sisters whose names are in the book of life. This is is God's word. Let's just hear it. Philippians 1, 2. I entreat Yodia. I entreat Syntyche. So the language there is not a command. It could be a command. Instead, it's a pleading It's like a begging almost. As Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this word to these two women. 
Now, let's just acknowledge how awkward that had to be. Like Paul is naming names. Can you imagine? Like coming into a church gathering for like right now, I was like, this person, that person. I started talking about two members in the church. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about those two people. This is, this is bold. Two members, likely strong leaders in the church. We don't know a ton about them. But they were obviously committed followers of Christ. Because there's other times when Paul ta- calls out false teachers by name, people who are wandering from the fra- faith, but that's not these women. These, these women, their names are in the book of life. So let me pause there, explain what that phrase means because that is extremely significant and may be the most important thing some of you today hear. So let's go to the last two chapters in the Bible for this one, Revelation 20 and 21, where we see the book of life a few different times. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, talking about the day of judgment for all people, says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. There it is. For the sake of time, I'll jump down to verse 15, which says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So basically, if your name is not in this book, then you will spend eternity in hell. And the people whose names are in this book are people who have trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. In other places in Revelation, it's called the book of the life of the lamb who was slain. This book contains the names of people who have trusted in Jesus, his death on the cross to save them from their sins and to lead them as the Lord of their lives. Such that when you get to Revelation chapter 21, verse seven, you see a picture of heaven. And this verse says, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor does anyone nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in, there it is, the Lamb's book of life. So who's in heaven? Only those whose names are in the book of life. Only who have trusted in Jesus as their life. So I ask you, like every single person listening right now, is your name written in the book of life? That's a really important question because when you die, which could be for any one of us at any moment, then your forever and ever and ever without end hinges on whether or not your name is in this book. If your name is not written in this book, when you die, you will be thrown into an everlasting lake of fire and eternal hell. Like that's what God is saying right now. Not me, that's God. Please hear him speaking that warning loud and clear. And see, like see that in his love, he's brought you to this moment to hear this warning so that you might hear this invitation. Life is available to you. In Jesus, he has died on a cross to pay the price for all your sin against God. He has risen from the dead in victory over sin so that when you turn from your sin and yourself and you trust in Jesus, you have eternal life in him, everlasting life.
Sorry, is your name in that book? That's the most important question. And since I could ask you today, and if you don't know beyond the shadow of a doubt, your name is in that book, then I urge you to trust in Jesus today. And that's the kind of people we're talking about here in Philippians chapter four. Not just two women who said, yeah, I'm gonna call myself a Christian and kind of live however I want. No, that's not Christianity and it's not these women. These women have labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. The language there, it's like standing on the front lines of battle together. That's where they've been. Paul's in prison for it. And it's breaking his heart from prison that these two women who know Jesus and labor for the gospel now have such a strong disagreement that the church is dividing over it to the point where he needs to address it in this letter. So that leads to the question, well, what's this disagreement about? And we don't know exactly, but here's what we do know. This disagreement was not about a core biblical or theological issue. And we know that because if it was that kind of issue, Paul would address it like he does in other places and he would correct whoever is in the wrong. Whatever the disagreement is here, it's not clear who's in the wrong. So Paul's not in a position where he can say with authority, Iodia is right and Syntyche is wrong or vice versa. So follow this, what does he do? He urges them to agree and the three words after that are so important, in the Lord. So that's where he's telling them to focus on the agreement. They have in the Lord, in Christ, which by the way, so let's test this for a second. Is that really what he's saying? Like focus on your agreement in Christ? Well, let's look back to what Paul said before this in the book of Philippians and see if this has been a theme. Look with me at Philippians chapter one, verse 27. We looked at this verse a couple weeks ago. It's kind of a theme verse in the book. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Does that language not sound familiar? Like side by side? That's exactly what Philippians chapter four, verse three says, side by side, exact same words. And then back here, he's pleading for this agreement in the Lord. Well, here he's talking about the gospel of Christ so that, follow this, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, that's Philippians chapter four, verse one, standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Stand firm, agree in one spirit with one mind. Well, with whose mind? The mind of Christ. Which is why, so are you sure you didn't just make a connection there that's not there? Well, keep going to a few verses later, Philippians chapter two. The Bible says, Paul writes, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, spirit of who? Spirit of Christ. Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. He's calling them to have one mind. 
Which mind? Jump to verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, surprise, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. This is what this whole letter is about. God, through Paul, calling the church to be of one mind and one accord in the mind and the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Lord. So you put all this together and the picture is clear. Like, don't miss it. God is calling the church in Philippi, these brothers and sisters in Christ specifically, to agreement, to unity, to labor together in the gospel with the mind of Christ and the spirit of Christ. God is telling his people in Philippi, press in, stand firm on this foundation, on the Lord. And don't let your differences and disagreements beyond this foundation rob you of loving one another and longing for one another, seeing each other as joy and crown and laboring side by side in the gospel. So if that is what God is saying to this church, these brothers and sisters in Christ and Philippi, could it be that he is saying the exact same thing to his church today? amidst a pandemic and protests, amidst strife and tension and debates and disagreements all around us, could it be that God is saying, nobody planned this, I didn't plan to be in this verse on this day, like just exactly what God is saying, could it be he's saying, press in, like stand firm on this foundation, the Lord, and don't let your differences and disagreements beyond this foundation rob you of loving one another and longing for one another and laboring together with one another in the gospel. So this is where I want to pause. I just want to press into application of this word, which I think the word is clear. So let's think through application of it in a way that I hope will help drive us to stand all the more firm on this foundation. So I want us to think about our setting today, specifically about divisions in our country. And I want you to ask you to hang, hang with me from all sides for a, minute, a few minutes, like hang with me, Yodia and Syntyche and thousands of other people. Uh, I'm not gonna name names. Don't even have any names in my mind. But I'm about to bring up two issues in two issues around which the church in our world divides. If you hang with me though, it's all gonna come back. I pray, better come back to the gospel and agreement in the Lord. So in fact, if you hang with me, I would actually submit we're gonna find ourselves pressing into the gospel and agreement in the Lord in deeper ways than maybe we ever have. So let me, let me point out two realities. So not opinions, but realities. So first reality, churches in the United States divide racially. So just using straight facts here, and we've talked about these before, how over 95% of white Americans attend predominantly white churches, and over 90% of African Americans attend, attend predominantly black churches. And we've talked about how this division has been present for the entire history of our country. 
actually beyond the founding of our country, for 400 years, black people and white people have been in separate churches. Now, I wish I had data like that on other ethnicities. The challenge is it's hard to find data on Asian American or Latin American or Native American involvement in uh, multi-ethnic churches or, or not. And obviously some of those categories are even extremely broad, like Asian American including Asia, including China, Korea, Japan, India, so many different backgrounds, so many different ethnicities, even beyond that, Latin America, obviously in a similar way, even different tribes among Native Americans. So it's hard to find data about how churches divide or don't along every ethnic line. But for at least the black, white population in our country, churches divide racially. That's just reality. It's been that way for 400 years. Second reality, churches in the United States divide politically. Now, let me be clear what I mean when I use that term. When I say politics, I'm referring to the way we, as a people, organize ourselves and our resources and a lot of power and decision-making and decision-implementing as a unit, specifically as a country. So politics is not a bad word. It's not even totally unbiblical. Yes, it's not in scripture, but to the extent that it represents government, God's good purpose for government in a Romans 13 kind of way, not just Romans 13, really all over the Bible, as well as God's command for us to do justice, politics represents many ideas about what we believe is just or right or best. And here's what's interesting. The conventional view has been that people's religion drives their politics, like faith church life drives political views. But there's actually significant research now that says this conventional view is not true, that in our culture, increasingly so, politics actually drives religion. Two big university studies done on this that I've read specifically found that rising generations in our country are choosing their political position, and then that is determining what kind of church they're a part of or not a part of. Many are choosing not to be a part of church. So instead of religious beliefs driving politics, politics are actually driving religious beliefs. One study across a variety of churches found that very few people attend church services with other Bible-believing Christians who hold different political views than them. So of course, many people who don't believe the Bible are gonna have very different political views. But this is talking about people who believe the Bible and have different views. So that's what I mean by churches in the United States divide politically. Now, the reason I share these realities is because who we are, what we're trying to do at NBC goes totally against the grain of the way the church in our world works. Like the church in our world divides racially. We're working to bring together over 100 different countries with many different ethnicities than that. The church in our world divides politically. We're working to bring together people with different political views in Washington, D.C., of all places. So here's the question. How do we maintain unity in a racially and politically diverse church? How do do we do that? When there's a strong pull away from one another in the church world when it comes to race and a strong pull away in the church world from even different political views among Bible-believing followers of Jesus on how to do justice in the world. 
Well, that leads many people to say, well, then churches should not address issues of politics and race. Some might even say NBC has been fine without talking about politics. But that's not really true. And it's not really true for any church that believes the Bible. Like NBC has talked about political issues far before I came and since I came. And for good reason, because the Bible addresses issues of politics and race. Like before I got here, NBC talked about abortion. It's helped promote the church, March for Life. Since I came, NBC has talked about abortion, helped promote the March for Life. Before I got here, NBC talked about sexuality and marriage and gender. And since I've been here, NBC has talked about these issues, tried to apply what these issues say, what the Bible says about these issues in the culture around us. So we can't say we don't talk about these issues. We do, and we should, to the extent which the Bible addresses these things. So I guess that's the question that it's at least worth asking. Are there any political or racial issues that the Bible addresses that we've chosen not to address? So this is the whole reason for this class that a thousand plus people right now are walking through on Sunday nights, specifically in light of this cultural moment we're in, we wanna look at what the Bible says about the gospel and the church and justice and race. Not according to philosophies of this world, not according to critical race theory or the BLM movement or anything else, not according to the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, not according to my opinions or my preferences or the opinions or preferences or positions of any other pastor, according to God and his word. Does the Bible, does God say anything about political issues beyond abortion and sexuality? If so, then what does the Bible say? Like, what does the Bible say about justice? Which I'll just, yeah, this word that's used hundreds of times from Genesis to Revelation. What does the Bible say about this word justice? And what does the Bible say about race? Which I would go ahead and say is totally different than the way we think about race. And seeing what the Bible says is so important because at this point, some think or might even say, but political and racial issues divide us. But here's the question I want us to think about together. Like why would political and racial issues divide us if they're not what unites us? And when people say, don't talk about issues of race or politics because they're divisive, I agree that's the case in the world. Like we divide over those issues in the world into different parties, different factions, different camps. But what if the church is different? Let me use an example and I'll caveat it from the start because it breaks down in ways that I'll note, but I think it helps illustrate the point. In Family Worship Live the other night, our family and those who are watching were sharing our favorite ice cream flavors. Now, it would make no sense for me to say to you and your family, don't bring up your favorite ice cream flavors in your family because it will divide your family. You say, no, it doesn't. Ice cream flavor is not what makes us a family. I'd say, oh yeah, that's a good point. You can have different views on ice cream flavors, talk about those differences, still be a united family. So let me ask the question, is it possible to have different views on various issues and talk about those issues and still be a united church. 
No, this is where the illustration starts to break down because you would say, wait a minute, like views on race or politics are far more important than ice cream flavors. And I would agree completely, without question, ice cream flavor is nowhere near as important. But I think the comparison and the question is still valid. Like, is it possible to have different views on various issues, talk about those differences, and still be a united church? And if the answer to that question is no, then what's really uniting us? Jesus or politics? Like, politics cannot divide us if Jesus is the one who unites us. And race cannot divide us if Jesus is the one who unites us. So why be afraid about dividing over issues of politics or race if our unity is in the Lord? and not in issues of politics or race. Now, at some point, at that point, you might say, well, it depends on what someone's saying about politics or race, and I agree completely. Again, that's the whole reason why a thousand plus people are walking through this journey on Sunday nights over five weeks, like we're fasting, we're praying, we're seeking the Lord, opening the Bible, and just saying, what does the Lord say about justice? What does the Lord say about race? What is the mind of Christ on these issues so that we agree in the Lord while we, while we will disagree on a variety of other things? And we're working together like a thousand of us on a discipleship resource that I hope will be helpful for each of us as followers of Christ and as a church together, any church for that matter, for clarifying what the Bible teaches, not what the world says, but what God's word says about the gospel and the church and biblical justice and a biblical view of race, knowing that beyond that, we're gonna have disagreements, but those disagreements do not threaten our unity and our labor together in the Lord. So let me, let me pause here and use an example. I'm gonna walk over here that we used last Sunday night as a part of this class that I, I hope will be helpful for us. So imagine two buckets right here. The first bucket on my left, your right, represents beliefs and behaviors that are, I put the words clear and essential. So clear in the Bible and essential for being a follower of Christ as a member of NBC. So these are the core beliefs that we agree on together such that if someone like rejects one of these things, then we would question either whether or not they're a follower of Jesus or whether or not they should be in the church as a member of the church. Think of examples. Like if someone in the church started denying who Jesus is, what Jesus did on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, what would we do? We would go to this person, we would open the Bible together, we would plead for them to not reject the truth about who Jesus is. But if they continued to deny Jesus, after a long process of pleading, this is what 1 John 2, in a sense, is all in part, all about, then we would not continue to say, this person is a follower of Jesus. Matthew 18 actually tells us to remove such a person from the church in hopes that they'll see how serious this is and come back to Christ. Let me give you another example. If a member of this church, picture a man who is cheating on his wife and continuing in this, we would go to him and say, you need to turn back to Christ, come back to your wife, away from this other woman. If he were to continue to cheat on his wife with no desire for repentance, no desire to follow Jesus, love his wife, 
that after a process of pleading with him, praying for him, longing for him to come back, if he continued to walk away from Jesus and all that is clear in God's word, then we would say, we'd come to the point where we'd say, this person is not a follower of Jesus. Like 1 Corinthians 5 tells us, we should remove such a person from the church. Why? Because in situations like this, when people are rejecting things that are clear in the Bible and essential to following Christ as a member of NBC, and I, I should just add, there's so many other things that could be included here, including things like what we believe, for example, about baptizing believers instead of babies, a belief that might even lead some Christian brothers and sisters to not be a part of NBC, because we've said as NBC, like, we believe this, and we do that. So that's one bucket. Then there's a whole nother bucket over here that represents beliefs or behaviors that are less clear in the Bible, not essential to following Christ as a member of NBC. So things we may disagree on together, but our disagreement doesn't mean we divide. Like we don't come to the point where we say, okay, if you believe or do that, then you're not like following Jesus or you should maybe be removed from the church or be a part of another church. And the list of things that go in this bucket is really long and can get really heated. There's some potential strong disagreements over here. Can I just put an obvious one out on the table? Who to vote for in the next presidential election? Can you be a Christian and member of NBC and vote for Trump? Can you be a Christian and member of NBC and vote for Biden? And I phrase that question specifically that way because I remember hearing people say in the 2016 election, this was before I came to NBC, but just across the church Christian conversation, People would say, I do not see how you can be a Christian and vote for, and fill in the blank. Some people were saying, I don't see how you can be a Christian and vote for Hillary Clinton. Other people were saying, I don't see how you can be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump. And part of the purpose of this illustration is simply to say that the only way we should ever use that kind of language is if we are willing to say this is clear in God's word and essential to be a follower of Jesus and member of his church. I'm gonna go ahead and put it out there This issue, who to vote for in the election, is not clear and essential. There's not a verse in the Bible that says, vote Biden, vote Trump. Instead, there are a whole host of verses in the Bible that we believe together that will lead us to different decisions that Bible-believing, Bible-obeying Christians will make. That's why no pastor at NBC, including me, is going to preach from the Bible. Vote Trump or vote Biden. And it's not just this issue. The same goes for all sorts of other issues where we must preach and unite around what the Bible says about issues of justice and race, even as we have different ideas on how to follow, put into practice what the Bible says. The point of the illustration is to say, if we're gonna experience true unity in the church, not unity around race or politics beyond what scripture is clear on, then we need to make sure we keep these buckets separate. And we don't look to this bucket over here to unite the church because that would be a false unity. It would be a unity around race and political preferences that go beyond the Bible and that is a worldly unity and sadly, that is what we have oftentimes called the church in our day. People who unite around these things. But brothers and sisters, the church is called to an 
otherworldly unity. A unity that transcends so many of these different issues. It transcends race and ethnicity, transcends political party. A people who believe what the Bible says about race, people who believe what the Bible says about justice and beyond what the Bible says. We don't have to check at the door who we are and what we think is best for biblical justice in the world. A unity where we can discuss our differences, even strong ones, with our Bibles open, with Philippians 2, like affection and sympathy. James 1, like quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Ephesians 4, like humility and gentleness with patience patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, like bending over backward to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, like reasoning with each other face to face instead of railing at each other over social media, trying to apply the word of God as humbly and wisely as we can in the world in which we live. So, so now let's bring it back then to Philippians chapter four. Now bring it back to what we're reading I hope, I hope all that's just gonna help us see this all the clearer. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And notice, it's not even just about these two women, Yodia and Syntyche. Because Paul goes on, he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion. True companion, we're not really even sure who Paul's talking about there. There's debate over who this true companion is. It's kind of ironic that there's debate among biblical scholars and a Bible passage about unity in the Lord. But the picture here is really powerful because it's not just Paul saying, hey, Yodian, Syntyche, figure this thing out, you two. Paul is saying, church, work together. Look at all the people involved. Yodia, Syntyche, this true companion who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, so there's somebody else, and the rest of my fellow workers, all whose names are in the book of life. I I just don't think it could be any clearer. God is saying to his church, then his church today, like labor together in the gospel to stand firm and agree in the Lord. And in the process, become and be the body and bride of Christ you were designed to be. Knowing there's a lion on the prowl looking to devour. You, he's looking to devour me. He's looking to devour us. And He's looking to devour people all around us whom God loves, including every face you see on the news during these days. So straight from God's word, just straight from God's word, brothers and sisters whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, agree in the Lord, as you labor side by side together in the gospel, as men and women who by the sheer grace of God have your names etched in the book of life. 
Will you pray with me? I just want to ask you to bow your heads wherever you are right now. And that's, that's the first and fundamental question I would ask you. Just right before the Lord, you and the Lord, is your name. Do you know your name is in the book of life? Have you put your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord? And if you don't know that, then I want to invite you right now just to pray to God. To say, God, I know that I have sinned against you. I know that I deserve eternal judgment for my sin. But today, I confess faith in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I today ask you to forgive me of my sin and I put my trust in Jesus as Lord of my life, as my life. Oh, I urge you to express that to God in your heart. Be saved from your sin, brought into eternal life in Jesus, like right now, by faith in him. And when you do, and for all who have, God, help us. Help us, we pray. Knowing we're, we're not in unusual times in this sense, like from the very beginning of your church, there have been struggles along these lines. So help us, we pray, in this time and place in which we find ourselves as your church. Help us to live out and experience an otherworldly unity. It's standing firm and agreeing in you, in Christ. Give us your mind, Jesus, we pray, together, full accord in one mind. Give us sympathy and affection and gentleness and patience and eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Oh God, we pray for that. Even as in this fallen world where none of us have it all figured out, we've got so many things that are not clear. God, we pray you'd help us to hold fast to that which is clear in your word and to find a depth of community there that that makes it clear to a watching world that there is one who can do what no, no one, nothing else in this world can do. There is one who can bring together every tribe, language, people, and nation through what he did on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, all for the glory of Jesus Christ, the Lord in whom we stand, the Lord in whom we agree. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. That's all for today's episode. But if you would like to find more resources on similar topics, such as identity in Christ, membership and community, race and ethnicity, you can find thousands of more resources at Radical.net. Also, don't forget you can download the free discussion questions that accompany this sermon and every sermon while you're there. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us there at Radical.net.